Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I bring you a message today from the people of Ireland. The eyes desire peace with England as with the rest of the world. It is a question of a republic. We want the creation of a new Ireland. I wish to talk to you this evening about the state of the nation's affairs. I wish to talk to you this evening about... (laughs) Welcome to the History of Ireland. So, in the last week or two, the show hit over 1 million downloads. It's frankly astonishing, and I cannot thank you all enough for listening. It means so much to think so many of you find value and enjoy this weird little deep dive into the birth of the Irish state. But I think sometimes we focus on the numbers too much. And though, yes, the big number means a lot, it means a lot less to me than You know, the emails I've had from listeners, the chats I've had in pubs, the fascinating historians I've interviewed, and, well, everything I've learned doing this show. None of that would be possible without you, the listeners. So just thank you so, so, so very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for writing in. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks to my Patreon supporters for keeping the show going. And, well, just thanks for everything. You truly are amazing. To celebrate, I thought we'd take a little break from our usual programming. And instead, considering today is October 31st, we'd have a little bit of fun and dive into the history of Halloween. A holiday with thousands of years of Celtic history. Civil war can wait. There's enough violence in the news at the moment anyway. So here goes nothing. Halloween is a weird little holiday that has existed in some way, shape or form for thousands of years. It started as a druidic celebration, was hijacked by the church, exported to America and now, like a lot of things, co-opted by capitalism. Let's go right back to the beginning. Before I go into any of this, I'll say a lot of it is conjecture. And it's very difficult to definitively trace back the origins of such an old folk tradition. But hey, that won't stop us trying. In Ireland, and off Squelga, the 31st of October is known as Samhain, And that gives us our first clue to its origin. Samhain means the Night of Samhain. And what is Samhain, you ask? Well, to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to Iron Age Ireland which was about 1,000 to 500 BC. Now I'm going to use the term Celts here, but it's a bit of a messy one. And I do have dreams of coming back to this period and really diving into it at a later date. I don't know, maybe let me know if you'd be interested. But just know the term Celts isn't necessarily accurate and describes a whole swath of people 
from a whole bunch of areas across Europe. But for our purposes, we're going to go with that simplified term. In fact, though many say that Samhain was a Celtic holiday, we know that this period of the year was marked by early Irish settlers from as far back as 5000 BC, with the mound of the hostages on the hill of Tara aligning perfectly with the rising sun around Samhain, much like its more famous neighbour Newgrange does at the winter equinox. So we'll say Samhain was a Celtic festival and that's what we need to go to start for Halloween, but but it actually goes even further back than that, maybe. Anyway, what we do know is that there was a festival called Samhain celebrated by the Celts, or at least whatever you want to call the people who lived in Ireland from about 1000 BC onwards. The Celts had a view of the year as being split into two halves, basically summer and winter. And Samhain was the end of the year, with Samhain roughly translating into end of summer. It marked the end of the harvest season and the onset of winter. We know Samhain existed because we have writings from the Romans that mention the festival, though they were quite biased because the Romans never loved the Celts. And we have mention of Samhain in some of the old Irish epics that were preserved by Christian monks much later on. For example, in the Boyhood Deeds of Fionn, we have this passage. It is to be known that on the night of the Feast of Samhain, the doors separating this world and the next one are opened, and the inhabitants of either world can leave their respective spheres and appear in the world of the other beings. It was said that at this time between the dying year and the birth of the new year, the side or the fairy people of Ireland were free to roam and the link between the supernatural and natural world was its strongest. Druids would make sacrifices, predictions, and they would light fires. The whole thing was a big fire festival. As historian John Gilroy explains, the perceptible and apparent decline in the strength of the sun at this time of year was a source of anxiety for early man and the lighting of the winter fires here symbolised man's attempt to assist the sun on its journey across the skies. As Luke Eastwood writes in his book Samhain, it marked the time of the return to darkness, the forces of light being absorbed into the earth or into the other world, and a state of death or hibernation occurring until spring returned at Imbolc. It was at Samhain that final harvests were collected and any excess livestock were ritually slaughtered for feasting as offerings, and also food was preserved for the winter. And finally, we have Nicholas Rogers writing that the Feast of Sound was the occasion of stock-taking and ingathering, of reorganizing communities for the winter months, including the preparation of quarters for itinerant warriors and shamans. It was also a period of supernatural intensity, when the forces of darkness and decay were said to be abroad, filling out from the scythe, the ancient mounds or barrows of the countryside. To ward off these spirits, the Irish built huge, symbolically regenerative bonfires and invoked the help of the gods through animal and even human sacrifice. Now, whether they actually partook in human sacrifices, well, we have no way of knowing. But fans of the movie The Wicker Man might be interested in Julius Caesar's description of the Celtic festival. Though it should be said, Caesar never had any direct point of contact with the Irish. Caesar described how the Celts believed, quote, that unless a man's life be paid, the majesty of the immortal gods may not be appeased. And in public, 
as in private life, they observe an ordinance of sacrifices of the same kind. Others use figures of immense size, whose limbs, woven out of twigs, they fill with living men and set on fire, and the men perish in a sheet of flame. Whether that ever happened or not, we'll never know. But Samhain was seen as a supernatural time, a chance to appease the gods and divine the future. And that still kind of travels through in the Irish traditions to this day. Irish listeners will know this, but anyone else might not. But barmbrack is a traditional fruitcake enjoyed at Halloween. And it's filled with things like rings, coins and clots of paper. Whichever one you get in your slice will tell you the future for the rest of the year. A much nicer tradition than burning people alive in giant wickermen, it has to be said. Tastier too. Even as the Celts disappeared and Christianity entered into Ireland, the pagan traditions were kept alive, with people dressing up as demons and sides so that they themselves wouldn't be targeted by the supernatural beings out and about on the night. Some historians even theorize that people played tricks pretending to be the evil spirits themselves. Sound familiar? So we can start to see a lot of the similarities. We still eat cake that tells the future, we dress up as scary things, we light bonfires, all traditions still alive today that can be roughly linked back to a festival over 2,000 years old. But how did we get from something called Samhain to the name Halloween? Well, that's when we bring in the church. If there's one thing the early church was great at, it was propaganda and the co-opting of tradition. It's no coincidence that Christmas, Easter and Halloween all line up with ancient pagan celebrations. On May 13th, 1609 AD, Pope Boniface IV created a celebration called All Saints' Day, also known as All Hallows. It was designed to honour Christian martyrs and saints. Then, in the mid-8th century AD, Pope Gregory III shifted that date to November 1st. The idea was that a celebration of old saints and martyrs was close enough to sound where the ghosts of the dead were appeased. This allowed pagans to continue doing what they had done for centuries, but now pretend that they were doing it for Christian reasons. It was a great way to bring the festival into Christianity. So over the centuries, Samhain became All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, reflecting a complex interplay between pagan and Christian traditions, process nuanced even further by regional and historical factors over the centuries. Father Augustine Thompson, a professor of history at the Dominican School of Theology in California, writes that, It seems Irish Catholic peasants wondered about the unfortunate souls in hell. After all, if the souls in hell are left out when we celebrate those in heaven and purgatory, they might be unhappy enough to cause trouble. So it became customary to bang pots and pans on All Hallows' Eve to let the damned know they were not forgotten. With its shift to Christianity, Samhain, or All Hallows' Eve, survived for centuries, and new traditions emerged. And one of those traditions led directly to one of the most recognisable symbols of Halloween, the pumpkin, or jack-o'-lantern. So how did that tradition develop? Well, Samhain, or Hallow's Eve, or Halloween, whatever you want to call it, over the years kept its association as a night 
where spirits walked the earth. Jessica Trainer of the Irish Times explains it well. From this atmosphere of anticipation and unease come traditions, which are both celebratory and defensive. Masks were worn to frighten away demons. Turnips and other root vegetables were carved with terrifying faces in order to scare unwelcome guests, both living and dead. And tricks were played on the unsuspecting. So that's why we started carrying vegetables, to scare away spirits. And I can tell you, a carved turnip is a lot scarier than a carved pumpkin. But there was one creature or spirit people wanted to ward off more than others, and that was Stingy Jack. The earliest mention I could find of the story comes from an edition of the Dublin Penny Journal, which you can actually read online. I'll post it for Patreon listeners. In the journal, the writer speaks of being out for a walk with his uncle one night in October, when the two of them saw a will-o'-the-wisp, a gaseous fire seen by travellers late at night. The writer, named Eamon, tries to explain the science behind the wisp in good 19th century style. But his uncle is having none of it and starts to tell the story. The intro is written phonetically and I kind of love it, so let me give it a go. His uncle said this, Eamon, a car. Eamon, if you knew the sufferings of that forsaken crater, since the time the poor soul was doomed to wander with a lantern in his hand on this cold earth, without rest for his foot or shelter for his head, until the day of judgment, only a one. Oh, it had softened the heart of stone to see him as I once did, the poor old Danon, his feet blistered and bleeding, his ponines all flying about him, and the reins of heaven beating on his old white head. Apologies for everyone for that. The uncle then dives into the story of Stingy Jack. Here's a quick rundown. Jack was a grumpy, unfriendly man coming home from a fair one night when he heard someone moaning by a river. He stopped to see if he could help and found an old man with a white beard. The man said, For the love of heaven, take me to some human habitation, for I am no tortured soul but a poor homeless wanderer who have lost my way on the wild moor and have lain down here to die. Jack took pity on the man and raised him up onto his horse, bringing him home and laying him to rest. The next morning, Jack was awakened by a bright blaze of light that shone through the whole of his cabin. Turns out the man was an angel. The angel offered Jack three wishes. Jack wished that anyone who sat in his chair, plucks a bow from his sycamore tree, or attempted to borrow his cobbling tools, would be stuck to the spot. The angel reckoned that these were pretty shitty wishes, and so granted them, but said Jack can never get into heaven for being so cruel. Then, the devil, hearing about Jack's plight, sent three messengers. One got stuck to the tree, one got stuck to his chair, and one got stuck to his cobbling toolbox. And so, poor Jack couldn't even get into hell. Instead, he wandered the earth alone forever, carrying a lantern. Now, it's a little confusing whether the lanterns people carved were to scare off Jack, or to represent him, or maybe a little bit of both. Either way, as Irish immigrants moved to America, they started to use pumpkins instead, and started to refer to the pumpkins as jack-o'-lanterns. The first reference of this comes from a Canadian news report in 1886, which said, 
the old-time custom of keeping up Halloween was not forgotten last night by the youngsters of the city. There was a great sacrifice of pumpkins from which to make transparent heads and faces, lit up by the unfailing two inches of tallow candle. So we've covered the idea of evil spirits, we've covered dressing up, pumpkins, playing tricks. But what about knocking on doors and looking for sweets? Where the hell did that come from? Well, this is where we work in a whole other tradition that got folded up into this complex little holiday. And that's the idea of souling. From about the 16th century, the poor of the city will go around on All Souls Night, All Hallows Eve, Halloween, Samhain, whatever you want to call it, knocking on doors, asking for soul cakes. You would give them food, and they would pray for your eternal soul. Pretty sweet deal. As Irish and other European immigrants settled in America, this tradition got mixed up with the rest of it all, and slowly converted to something kids did for sweets. Over time, these Samhain and All Hallows Eve customs melded with local beliefs and practices, evolving into what's really a uniquely American version of Halloween. The 19th century then saw a rising fascination with the occult, propelling Halloween into an even bigger popular social event. And by the 20th century, well, it started to be codified. I won't go into the full story, but for example, you had people like Elizabeth Krebs from a small town in Kansas, who's described as the mother of Halloween. After repeated years of kids in costumes wrecking her flowers, she decided to organize a proper Halloween festival in 1914. And it caught on. By the 1920s, you even had instructional booklets explaining how to decorate. For example, this one from Boston in the 20s stated, Decorations for Halloween may vary greatly, but black cats, bats, jack-o'-lanterns, ghosts and witches predominate. Autumn leaves, corn stalks, fruits and vegetables carry the idea of a harvest celebration. Orange and black crepe paper are indispensable in decorating. Throughout the 20th century, the holiday went from strength to strength in America. And by the 50s, sweet companies, or candy companies as they imagine they're known stateside, realized it was a great way to sell some product. In fact, it became a great way to sell all kinds of things, from costumes to food, movies to ridiculous decorations. Much like the church had done, capitalism was happy to hop on the Halloween bandwagon, transforming a tapestry of folk traditions into a hallmark of American pop culture. And so there you have it. That is a very quick, rough history of a weird little pagan holiday that has managed to survive for thousands and thousands of years. From the ancient hills of Ireland to the bustling streets of modern-day America, the spirit of Halloween continues to enchant and spook. And I for one love how it's kept on to those pagan roots. So, as you welcome a cute little trick-or-treater to your door, or if you get invited to a costume party, know you're taking part in a festival that has existed for millennia. And know that Celtic Druid, Evil Fairy, Stingy Jack, or Souling Peasant are all great and historically accurate Halloween costumes. Enjoy it. Happy Halloween, people, and thanks again for a million listens. 
Thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell your friends. It really helps. If you want to go further, you can support the show, get ad-free listening and bonus content on our Patreon page. Simply follow the Patreon link in the show notes or visit our website, thehistoryofireland.com. You can also get in touch through the website or on Facebook and Twitter. It's always great hearing from you guys. And if I've made a mistake, please do let me know. The History of Ireland was written and produced by me, Kevin Dole, with music by Liam Doyle and additional help from assistant producer Aoife Murphy. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.